as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about the best professor in all of Hogwarts, (laughs) (laughs) Professor Minerva McGonagall. So before we get started, we just want to remind you for one final time, although we'll remind you at the end of the episode too, to send in your questions um, because after this episode our next episode is the one that we're recording together and we'll be answering all of your unanswered questions from the wizarding world can be about anything wizarding world related or wizard studies related so send those to us to get started i'll talk a little bit about mcgonagall's name so her name is minerva mcgonagall Minerva is the name of the is the Roman name for the goddess of wisdom, war, strategy, courage, and justice. So it's the equal to Athena. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, um, and then McGonagall comes from the Scotsman William Topaz McGonagall, who is considered to be one of the worst poets in the English language in the history of the English language. So here is a little quote from J.K. William McGonagall is celebrated as the worst poet in British history. There was something irresistible to me about his name and the idea that such a brilliant woman might be a distant relative of the buffoonish McGonagall. (laughs) So here is a little sample of his poetry. Beautiful railway bridge of the silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. (laughs) So, kind of sounds like something that a elementary schooler could have written. Yeah. Um... And then the Scottish name McGonagall, talking a little bit more about the origins, or McGonagall spelled differently, G-O-N-I-J-L-E, or J- G. G-O-N-I-G-L-E, or G-O-N-E-G-A-L, is from the Celtic name Conigal, 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 meaning the bravest, and then if you put a mick on the beginning, it means the son of. So McGonagall means like son of the bravest. Hmm. Interesting. So her birthday is October fourth, <clears throat> which is near the release date for this, <laughs> and there's no year, which makes Crimes of Grindelwald especially hard to decipher but we're not going to talk about that because we talked about it on our crimes episode true that i'm not talking about that again (laughs) her house was gryffindor obviously because she's the head of gryffindor house in harry's time (laughs) you skipped (laughs) wand oh (laughs) i was not even looking at that okay So her wand is fir wood with a dragon heartstring core. It's nine and a half inches and its rigidity is stiff. This is the writing about fir wood from the Ollivander writing on Pottermore. It says, my August grandfather 
Jerbold, Octavius, Ollivander always called wands of this wood the survivor's wand because he had sold it to three wizards who subsequently passed through mortal peril unscathed. There is no doubt that this wood, coming as it does from the most resilient of trees, produces wands that demand staying power and strength of purpose in their true owners and that they are poor tools in the hands of the changeable or indecisive. Fur wands are particularly suited for transfiguration and favor <laughs> owners who of focused, strong-minded, and occasionally intimidating demeanor. I think this is pretty spot on for McGonagall. Obviously, the suited to transfiguration is pretty obvious. She's very strong-minded. She can be very intimidating. She's very resilient, and she comes out of both both of the wizarding wars unscathed. Yeah. So she's a survivor. Okay, and then as Katie already said, her house is Gryffindor. <laughs> her parents were a muggle father whose name is escaping me, but I have it written down here. McGonagall. Robert. 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 <laughs> and her mother was a witch, and her name is Isabel. Or was Isabel, I guess. They're probably not still alive. So her skills are that she is an animagus, which in her animagus is a distinctively marked silver tabby cat. And of note is that her patronus is also the animagus form of herself. Her hobbies include needlework, which I don't think we heard anything about. Correcting yeah. articles in Transfiguration Today, watching Quidditch, and supporting the Montrose Magpies. And they, the Montrose Magpies, are the most successful team in Quidditch league history. So, is she a bandwagoner? Maybe. No, she just supports a winning team. <laughs> She's been around. I wonder a while. What that Maybe feels she supported like. them before. <clears throat> yeah, you wouldn't know. I don't. <laughs> hey, the Hurricanes made the playoffs last year. Anyways, moving on to her first mention. So we have two different sections pulled, and both of them are long. So I'm going to mess up a bunch. I apologize in advance. But so the first one is the first time she's mentioned as a cat, and we don't really know who she is. And then the second is from when she turns into a human after after Dumbledore sees her. <clears throat> Both in the first book. I believe it's even in the first chapter. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar. Peculiar. There you go. Already messed up. <laughs> a cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he had seen. Then he jerked his head around to look again. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of Privet Drive, but there wasn't a map in sight. What could he have been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blinked and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said Privet Drive. No, looking at the sign. Cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind. Actually, I didn't do, do too bad reading that because I've listened to that so many times <laughs> in the audiobook that like, I like, basically didn't know what was coming next. <laughs> Anyways, the next mention, like I said, is when Dumbledore sees her and she turns into a human again. Dumbledore slipped the put-outer back inside his cloak and set off down the street towards number four, where he sat on the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but after a moment, he spoke to it. 
fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but it had gone, and said he was smiling at a rather severe-looking woman who was wearing square glasses, exactly the shape of the markings the cat had had around its eyes. She, too, was wearing a cloak, an emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked distinctly ruffled. How did you know it was me, she, she asked. My dear professor, I've never seen a cat sit so stiff sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. We kind of like get a glimpse as to who she is, like it says that. Um, was it she looked, oh yes, yeah, he was smiling at a rather severe looking woman, so we get kind of like her sternness, but also like her abilities as an animagus and her relationship with Dumbledore. Important things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, McGonagall's Myers-Briggs personality type is ESTJ, the executive, which talked about a bit about this two episodes ago when we talked about Umbridge, because she is the same personality type. So you get to hear it all. (laughs) (laughs) There are only 16 personalities. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So executives are representatives of tradition and order. And they utilize their understanding of what is right and wrong and socially acceptable to bring families and communities together. They embrace the values of honesty, dedication, and dignity. And people with the executive personality type are valued for their clear advice and guidance, and they happily lead the way on difficult paths. So I think Harry and the trio really admire McGonagall, even though sometimes her strictness is against them i think they see her as someone with like strong moral principles and they definitely like value the advice and guidance that she gives them um even more so as they get older um we see in in book five harry kind of forms even more of a little bit of a uh like guidance relationship with mcgonagall when he bonds with her over their shared hatred of umbridge (laughs) um And at times when Hogwarts is in disarray, I think McGonagall is the one that preserves tradition and order. Um, When Dumbledore is gone, she tries to keep things going as normally as she can. And even when Dumbledore is, like, kind of out of line, she's like, hell no. (laughs) Get together, Albus. (laughs) Okay, so strong believers in the rule of law and authority that must be earned. Executive personalities lead by example demonstrating dedication and purposeful honesty and an utter rejection of laziness and cheating, especially in work. If anyone declares hard manual work to be an excellent way to build character, it is executives. So I think this also gets back to her relationship with Dumbledore um, because she respects his authority very much because he clearly earned it. Um, But with people that she doesn't respect their authority, she sees them as not earning that authority. So Umbridge, who just kind of waltzed into her position because of the ministry. And then Snape, who she knows killed Dumbledore and then just, like, took over. She does not respect that. She kind of, like, is subversive to both of those headmasters. And I think just the, like, rejection of laziness and cheating definitely echoes the, like, strict teacher stereotype that she fulfills for a lot of the series. Um, And then, like, what breaks up that stereotype is that occasionally you see like these these softness and like her like love for Harry. So executives don't work alone and they expect their reliability and work ethic to be reciprocated. Um, 
they can have a reputation for inflexibility because they like can be um very harsh of like people that they work with that are incompetent or lazy but it's not it's not because they're stubborn but because they truly believe that like hard work um is what makes society work so i think just the like calling on others to help whenever she was like kind of on her own because Dumbledore was gone she like called on the other heads of houses so she got um all the other heads of houses to help prepare for the battle of Hogwarts and like as part of the order she um worked like as part of this team the main challenge for executives is to recognize that not everyone follows the same path or contributes in the same way. A true leader recognizes the strength of the individual as well as that of the group and helps bring those individuals' ideals to, ideas to the table. McGonagall definitely like sees the strength in all of her students and tries to bring them out. So like she got Harry on the Quidditch team because she saw that he was good at flying. Most of the time she did her best to encourage Neville. I know she is a bit harsh on him sometimes, but I know there are times when like they're all nervous for their OWLs and she's like no you all know this like even you Neville like even though you struggle with a lot of this like you can you know this you can do this and then I don't know if this is a movieism where she like I think it is she tells Neville to take Seamus with him to go blow up the bridge oh yeah (laughs) but that is using the strengths of your students true true Um, And then for her personal strengths, or this personality type strengths, we have dedicated, strong-willed, direct and honest, loyal, reliable, patient, enjoy creating order, and excellent organizers. I think all of those are pretty spot on. I, like, can't think of an argument against them. Maybe patient, not that she isn't patient, but just that we don't really, like, see her being that patient, I guess. And then weaknesses... Inflexible and stubborn, uncomfortable with unconventional situations, judgmental, too focused on social status, difficult to relax, and difficulty expressing emotion. So I think she is very often inflexible and uncomfortable with like unconventional situations, but we do have to remember that she was willing to let Hermione, a 13-year-old, have a time turner, which is certainly unconventional. (laughs) I think it's because Hermione reminds her a lot of herself, but... For sure. Okay, so she definitely is a little bit judgmental. Um, I think not in, like, the sense that we talk about uh, Umbridge being judgmental, where she's just, like, straight-up prejudiced. Like, um, McGonagall's judgmental. Like, she, like, kind of looks down on Trelawney and stuff like that. But when, like, things get serious, she's accepting. Like, she protected Trelawney from Umbridge, and she accepts Hagrid because Dumbledore accepts him and stuff like that like she can be a little judgmental I think but I think it's more like a little bit like elitist with like her intellectualism I definitely don't see the social status thing I think she doesn't care about social status at all and the difficult to relax weakness makes a lot of sense and then difficulty expressing emotion I think makes a little bit of sense because sometimes she's like bursting with love or pride for Harry but she kind of holds it back so we see like a soft smile or something like that um but like I think that's because she tries to bury her emotions around Harry because she doesn't want like him to know that she's probably always thinking of James and Lily when she's around him which is Mm -hmm. so sad really though 
Okay, moving on to a little bit about her childhood and her life at Hogwarts. So as we mentioned earlier, she her parents were a muggle father, Robert, who is a Presbyterian minister. Shout out my fellow Presbys. And her witch mother named Isabel. Her mother hid her magic from... Like, so Isabel hid her magic from Robert throughout the entire time that they were dating, through marriage. Robert never knew that she was a witch. Until McGonagall was born, or until Minerva was born, she started showing magic signs at, like, such a young age. Like, in the crib, summoning toys kind of thing. And so it became a struggle for Isabel to continue to hide this from Robert. So she... ended up telling Robert that she was a witch and that Minerva, 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 that Minerva was a witch as well. And surprisingly, it didn't break them up, but they kind of, the trust was never fully gained back between the two of them. So they stayed together, and McGonagall, or Minerva, sorry, I can't keep saying McGonagall because they're all McGonagalls. Minerva had a really close relationship with her father. She really did, um, I think, get along with him a little bit better and related to him a little bit more than she did her mother. When she turned 11, she started attending Hogwarts, and when it was time for her to be sorted, she was an official hat stall. So a hat stall, I believe, is when it takes the sorting hat over five minutes to decide the house, and it took her five and a half minutes. The sorting hat was deciding between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. And again, like Audrey had mentioned this in the previous section, but um, just like really quickly how McGonagall sees Hermione as like herself like there are lots of similar similarities between them Hermione was almost a hat stall between Ravenclaw and Gryffindor so that's just another thing that they have in common mm-hmm. and then I found this interesting apparently Pomona Sprout was at Hogwarts for two years with McGonagall and they actually became friends which I think is really kind mm. of odd because it was a first year and a sixth year and then a second year and a seventh year but then they like maintained their friendship obviously throughout the years and then both working at Hogwarts and being heads of houses that's so interesting that they became friends like with the age gap and also not being in the same house like yeah how did they know each other there's just a there's just a smart girls club yeah basically that's how they met it was like slug club, club but for just like yeah but just for like really smart heads of houses <laughs> basically no i bet like um i bet sprout had to have been a prefect and a head head girl was Sprout older? Yes, okay. I do believe. Oh, actually, I don't know. I just assumed that she was older. Mm, I don't know. Let me see. Because we, ha- we don't have McGonagall's birth year. Well, that means we probably don't have Sprout's birth year, because then that gives away McGonagall's birth year. Well, within, like, a large range, but yeah. Because they're five years it. apart on either side. Either, yeah, but be. I... Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I first brought it just as May 15th, I think. Yeah. Uh, interesting. There's so, no way around it. <laughs> nope. They remained friends long after they were both students to the time that they were both teachers and heads of houses. 
And while at Hogwarts, she proved herself to be a very gifted witch. And um, we know that Dumbledore helped McGonagall become an Animagus. Uh, Like we talked about earlier, her Animagus is the tabby cat. Also, while at school, she was on the Gryffindor Quidditch team. And I believe she was a chaser. I don't know if I'm just making that up. I think she... I think she was because when she gets injured, it sounds like it's like a chaser injury. Yeah. Like, I don't know if there's anywhere anywhere that says it for sure, but I think I just assumed that she was a chaser. Yeah. Assuming Quidditch positions has never really worked out in the past before because everybody just assumed that James was a seeker. Because he plays with a snitch. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's very misleading. But during her seventh year, she suffered a nasty fall after a nasty foul was committed against her by a Slytherin player. So she fell off her broom. She had a concussion, multiple broken ribs, and maybe something else I can't exactly remember. But she was um, messed up from the fall, and it was against Slytherin, so ever since then, she has she's had a lifelong desire to crush Slytherin in every Quidditch match, which is why she's so passionate about Quidditch because she likes it and like she wants revenge on Slytherin. Wasn't it also like in the like wasn't the winner gonna win the Quidditch Cup or something? I think like as a result they lost the Quidditch Cup. Maybe or maybe she just wants oh yeah to win yeah the cup because. Um, a foul during the Gryffindor versus Slytherin match, which would decide the Quidditch Cup winner. Yeah. The event left her with a concussion, several broken ribs, and a lifelong desire to see <laughs> Slytherin crushed on the Quidditch pitch. <laughs> I, I love, love that. It. I love it. So yeah. Much. Th- there aren't there like quotes where um, she doesn't she say something to Harry about like not getting in trouble? Like I've yeah. gotten very used to seeing the cup in my office, Potter. Like yeah. I would like to keep it that way. <laughs> Uh, I think it's so funny that it gets kept in her office and not, like, in the (laughs) common room by the people that want it. Uh, All right. I wonder if she made that decision. I wonder if it's normally kept in the common room, but she's like, no, it's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So after Hogwarts... She graduated and she returned home for one last summer before starting a position at the ministry in the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. So during that summer, she fell in love with a muggle boy, Dougal McGregor. Dougal. Dougal. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Dougal. It's like Dougal's a really dumb name. (laughs) Dougal. So she, so Dougal was the handsome, clever, and funny son of a local farmer, and they got engaged. When she went home to tell her parents that night, though, she found that she couldn't tell them. Um, she realized that if she married Dougal, she would end up like her mother and have to lock away her wand and give up all her ambitions. So she decided that she had to tell him that she could not marry him. Um, and it says, quote, by the way, all of this background information is from J.K.'s writing on Pottermore. Did you say that? No. Okay. Well, it says, quote, Early next morning, Minerva slipped from her parents' house and went to tell Dougal that she had changed her mind and could not marry him. Mindful of the fact that if she broke the, broke the international statute of secrecy, she would lose the job at the ministry for which she was giving him up, she could give him no good reason for her change of heart. She left him devastated and set out for London three days later. So sad. 
Um, she was unhappy at the ministry, partly due to like anti-Muggle sentiment of her coworkers, and clearly like she has a Muggle father and Dougal who she loves. And then she missed Scotland. She didn't really like London. Um, however, she did like her boss, Elphinstone Urquhart, and she was offered a promotion two years in, but she turned it down and sent an owl to Hogwarts asking if a teaching job was available. She was immediately offered a job in the Transfiguration Department under Albus Dumbledore, who was the head of the department at the time. So this is confusing, ignoring the crimes of Grindelwald, Grindelwald part, but this is just confusing because it makes it seem like there was more than one Transfiguration teacher. Like, she was offered a job in the department under Albus, who was the head of the department. Um, which, like, we're not led to believe that there's more than one teacher of any subject at Hogwarts, so. Except, like, when there's two divination teachers, they're, like, sharing. I don't know, it's just kind of, kind of weird. Um, so she threw herself into her work at Hogwarts, and she proved to be a great teacher. And then she received word from her mother that Dougal had married the daughter of another farmer. And it says... Albus Dumbledore discovered Minerva in tears in her classroom late that evening, and she confessed the whole story to him. Albus Dumbledore offered her, offered both comfort and wisdom and told Minerva some of his own family history previously unknown to her. The confidences exchanged that night between two intensely private and reserved characters were to form the basis of a lasting mutual esteem and friendship. What did he tell her? Was it about Grindelwald? <laughs> Well, it says a family yeah. history. So I feel like it was more centering around Upper Fourth and Ariana. But, like, that doesn't mean that Grindelwald didn't come up because those stories are, like, all yeah. three of them are very connected. Yeah. And I think there's, like, I don't know where it says it, but I think somewhere it says, it might be in this thing. I think somewhere it says that, like, Minerva McGonagall was, like, one of the only people that knew how hard it was in for Dumbledore to beat Grindelwald. So, like, Mm -hmm. she had to know some sort of that backstory, I think. Yeah. Which I just, uh, I want to hear that conversation. I know. I want to see on screen. I know. So, she stayed in touch with her boss and friend, Elphinstone Urquhart, during this time, and he visited her in Scotland, and one time he proposed to her, and she turned him down because she was still in love with Dougal. But then he continued to propose every now and then. (laughs) And finally, after Dougal died, Minerva was freed in a way. So it kind of seems like Dougal died, like, years later. Like, he didn't die that early. He was just died a muggle death. Um, And then after the first Wizarding War, Elphinstone, Urquhart... What's his name? Proposed again, and Minerva finally accepted him. He was retired, so he bought a cottage in Hogsmeade for them so she could continue to work at Hogwarts and commute to work. And then it says, Known to successive generations of students as Professor McGonagall, Minerva, always something of a feminist, announced that she would be keeping her own name upon marriage. Traditionalists sniffed. Why was Minerva refusing to accept a pureblood name and keeping that of her muggle father? I love it. Same, same, same. I think it also speaks to something I mentioned earlier about, like, how she was really close with her father. Mm -hmm. 
like I think it even like I mentioned that she felt closer to her to him than to her mother mm-hmm. who was like the witch and she really had more in common with on paper yeah so <laughs> the two were very happy together until Elphinstone Urquhart died three years into their marriage from a venomous tentacular bite and I the first time I read this I read it as tarantula but that's not what it is <laughs> it's a greeny a green a green spiky toothsome magical plant with mobile vines that try to gla- grab living prey so he got killed by a plant um and mcgonagall was so taken by grief that she moved back into hogwarts because she couldn't bear to stay at their cottage alone and then it closes with Few people, excepting perhaps Albus Dumbledore, ever realized how much she suffered. Mm. So sad. It really is. Breaking hearts left and right. You go. You she go, was girl. breaking. <laughs> <clears throat> she broke Dougal's heart. Yeah, and then I guess she denied her. And she broke Urquhart's heart a couple times. But they stayed. Friends. Sounds like. <laughs> And it sounds like at least the impression that I get from that story is that she cared about Urquhart, maybe. Yeah. But, like, she never loved him as much as she loved Dougal. But she was still like, heartbroken. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, I just don't think that she was, like, as in love. Like, she mm. could have still, like, cared about him She was so also much. older, so it wasn't, like, a young, foolish love, you know? Yeah, those are, those are just different kinds, man. <laughs> just kidding. So McGonagall's house is obviously Gryffindor. She was head of Gryffindor house. And like I mentioned earlier as well, she was a hat stall between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw. I think that she could have done well in Ravenclaw. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's in, she's very studious she's very smart I mean she was able to get into the Ravenclaw common room Mm -hmm. people forget that she's able to solve the riddle and get in I believe hers was where do vanish objects objects go and she said um oh crap what is it something she says like something and then like or into non-being which is to say into non-being Everywhere or something. Uh, I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> I need the quote. <laughs> oh, she replies into non-being, which is to say everything. We had oh. it backwards, okay. but we got there. Like yeah. we had all of the words. <laughs> we would have been let we in. We just didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So I think that like speaks a lot to how she could have been a Ravenclaw because. Not that many people. Like, I mean, it's what you have to do to get into the Ravenclaw common room for a reason. Like, not everybody can solve those riddles. Mm -hmm. Even adults. Yeah. Even because the Caros couldn't. (laughs) They were like, I don't care, let me in. (laughs) Um, And like I mentioned earlier as well, Minerva... Goodness. (laughs) Minerva is the name for the goddess of wisdom in Roman mythology. So again, like pretty obvious correlation there. And then 
so she could also like have some Slytherin-y traits, but I feel like this also is a Ra- or is a Gryffindor trait, like this instance. But like we've mentioned before, Gryffindor and Slytherin are pretty similar because she couldn't she couldn't sacrifice her own ambitions to marry Dougal. She mm. like wanted to ha- still have her own life. You think that's Gryffindor? I mean, I think that's being brave. Yeah, yeah. It like, you know, like, turning be, yeah. turning the person you love down. Yeah. Like, putting yourself first. Kind of thing. Like, obviously, it's ambitious, and that's, like, why it's Slytherin-like. But I think that it also is, like, shows kind of her bravery. Mm-hmm. That she's able to stand up for herself. Because, as Dumbledore would say, it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but even more to stand up to your friends why are you talking like that because <clears throat> i was trying to remember the quote and i still don't think that was correct um and then she also like was pretty loyal to Dougal even after they broke up but not after his death she stopped being loyal She's like freed like that okay. um because she felt like she couldn't marry another man while Dougal was alive because she really knew that her heart belonged with Dougal yeah when I was reading about this I also read I I kind of zoned out when you were speaking so you might have said this but like she also wanted to turn Dougal down because she knew that like she couldn't lie to him in their relationship and if she told him that would be like breaking the statute of secrecy and that would like put be putting her job in jeopardy because she was just getting ready to start at the department of magical law enforcement so that is again like kind of like putting herself first and her ambitions first kind of like she also knew that like she was doing she saw what happened in her parents relationship and she knew that mm -hmm. she couldn't do that so like she was also, like, preserving his happiness, even though she was breaking his heart in the moment. For sure. Like, her thought process was like, well, I can't lie to him because mm-hmm. I don't want to repeat what my parents did. But I can't tell him the truth because that would be, like, that would be me breaking the law mm-hmm. and, like, putting my job in jeopardy. The only option she had if she was going to, like, stick to those two things that I just said was to not marry him and to leave him. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I just think this whole section, like, I think that... In most characters, we can see the traits of... You can make an argument or see traits of all four houses or almost all four houses. But I think it's particularly um, obvious with her, where you can see quite a bit. And I think another person who's... It's a little bit where you can like, you can see a lot of is Dumbledore. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wonder if that's, like, what makes a good headmaster, you know? Like, someone who kind of embodies I, all of the houses together. For sure. I also would say that in both of those situations, McGonagall and Dumbledore, I would say that Hufflepuff is their least mm-hmm. shown house. For Dumbledore, certainly. For McGonagall, yeah, probably. I mean, not that like she doesn't show any Hufflepuff yeah. traits, but like I think it's far less than Ravenclaw and Slytherin yeah. and Gryffindor, obviously. So. Yeah. That's interesting. That's true. Maybe you can't be an ambitious brave intelligent person and who's equally loyal time. yeah because i think that some of those things like cancel each other out yeah like if she was more hufflepuff than she was slytherin i think she would have probably stayed with dougal yeah maybe yeah That's anyways true. well speaking of dumbledore our next section is on 
her relationship with uh, Albus Dumbledore, the one and only. So um, Albus, as Katie mentioned, was the one who guided her into becoming an animagus. It's kind of interesting, though, because like, he's not an animagus himself. There is... That we know of. There are theories that he is, is a phoenix a animagus. Phoenix. Yep. Is that because that thing he does in in the <laughs> end of five plays like <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Super Carlin Bros has a video on it. Oh really? I should watch yeah. it. Yeah. Cause that's that'd be dope. But yeah. unrelated. <laughs> So I then decided that I, I don't think we've talked about how to become an animagus on the pod yet. And I think it's really cool. So I'm just going to run through it. It's a very long progress process. And if failed, um, it leads to permanent mutation into a half human, half creature. So this is kind of crazy when you think about the marauders doing this on their own. So first you have to keep a mandrake leaf in your mouth for a full month from full moon to full moon. And if you swallow or remove the leaf, then you have to start over. You then combine the leaf, combine the leaf with some ingredients, um, one of your hairs, a silver teaspoon of for dew collected from a place that net neither sunlight nor human feet have touched for a week. So like, I don't even know where that is. Um, a chrysalis of a dead death's head moth. And then you put all that in a moonstruck crystal file. And if the night of the full moon is cloudy or like it doesn't, it's not, the moonlight doesn't hit it, then you have to start over with the mandrake leaf. The mixture then must be undisturbed until the next electrical storm. So it's a thunderstorm. (laughs) So that could mean like waiting months or years, probably months, not years. Um, and then during this wait, it must be kept completely undisturbed and untouched by sunlight. And every single sunrise and sunset, you have to chant a motto, a nemo, and a motto, and a magus, um, while touching your wand tip to your heart. Whilst, walk, whilst waiting for the lightning, eventually you will start to feel a second heartbeat during the incantation with the tip of the wand to the chest, which is so cool. Then, when the lightning finally comes, you find a mouthful of blood red potion in the file, and you place your wand tip to your heart, and you chant the same thing again, and then you drink the potion. And at this point, there's no return, so if you've done it wrong, you're going to be mutated. Um, You feel fiery pain and an intense double heartbeat, and a creature will come into your mind into which you will transform. The first transformation is usually uncomfortable, and then your clothing, glasses, and jewelry all become part of the, like, skin, fur, scales, spines of the animal, the animal's markings. So that's where we see McGonagall's glasses markings. And after transforming into an animal, you have to hide your wand somewhere. You can later retrieve it. Which is weird, because where did Peter hide his wand for all of those years? Or did he just not have a wand when he transformed back? And then Voldemort gave him one. Because he doesn't use a wand when he's in the Shrieking Shack. So I think he just didn't have one. Are you Googling I'm it? it up. Yeah. Okay, while you're Googling it, the other thing that's weird about this process is the double heartbeat. Because, like, it's not like you're creating another being. Like, you are your animagus. So I think that's kind of cool. That I don't know. It seems unusual. 
Okay, so it looks like he didn't have a wand, but he had to have a wand. You have to have your wand on you when you transform. Into it. Into yeah. your animagus. And so when he transformed back to escape, I guess he dove for Lupin's wand on the ground. Um, okay. Is what I'm finding. Okay. Because he probably would have left his, his wand would have been left, um with all of like when he transformed into the rat to go into the sewer when Sirius when he killed all those people and blamed it on Sirius mm-hmm. right so then that and that made it more convincing because they found his wand and they knew he had died or they you know oh wait okay so here's the quote Pettigrew had dived for Lupin's draft wand Ron and Steady on his bandaged leg fell. There was a bang, a burst of light, and Ron lay motionless on the ground. Another bang. Crookshanks flew into the air and back to the earth in a heap. Expelliarmus yelled, Harry yelled, pointing his wand at Pettigrew. Lupin's wand flew high into the air and out of sight. Stay where you are, Harry shouted, running forwards. Too late. Pettigrew had transformed. He saw his bald tail whip through the manacle on Ron's outstretched arm and heard the scurrying through the grass. Hmm. So I guess like he he was able to change before Harry like, yeah made the wand leave his hand I guess that's some quick reflexes I guess mm. yeah that's interesting anyway I digress um so when back to McGonagall and Albus Dumbledore when she first arrived to teach at Hogwarts it was under Dumbledore. Um, and then, like we said, they had that long chat when Dumbledore saw her crying and they became close. He supported her when her husband died and, like, was one of the only ones who knew how heartbroken she was. And then what we see in the series, she was his deputy headmistress and supported him wholeheartedly most of the time. But, like, they were close enough that when she believed he was in the wrong, she could question him or push against him. So the first instance is she thinks that Harry shouldn't be given to the Dursleys. And also, um, she questions his policy of, like, letting Harry do risky and dangerous things, like uh, entering the Triwizard Tournament. She supported Dumbledore when the ministry was against him and Harry. And he actually, like, has to tell her to back off because he doesn't want them to take her, too. Um, she also trusted and supported Hagrid because Dumbledore did, and she immediately trusted Harry when he returned to Hogwarts and Deathly Hallows because he said he was acting on Dumbledore's orders. That was all she had to hear, and she was like, okay, what do you need me to do? So after, since we talked a little bit about McGonagall's relationship with Dumbledore, I'm going to talk a little bit about her relationship with Harry. So we kind of alluded to this in our last episode when we talked about mother figures and how we believe that McGonagall is kind of like the equivalent of a family friend who's a teacher. (laughs) Very specific. Um, But she really did care for Harry, and I think that she cared about him more than most of her other students, if not all of the other students. Yeah, definitely all of the others. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, some of these instances are that she purchased him a broom in his first year when it was technically not allowed for first years to have their own brooms. So <laughs> that could speak to her caring about Harry or her caring about Quidditch. <laughs> and then Harry kind of 
sees her enough as maybe not a mother figure, but like a caretaker that he asked her to sign his Hogsmeade permission slip after the Dursleys don't. And she's like, sorry, Potter, I can't. Like, it has to be a guardian, which is tough. That's rough, Harry. <laughs> um, and then in Order of the Phoenix, when she's blasted with, like, the stunning spells, Harry is, like, really affected by seeing that and, like, seeing her in that state. And then in Seven, what when we were kind of, like, this is when we were talking about earlier about her getting into the Ravenclaw common room. One of the caros, I, I think it's the male, so I guess that's Amicus, like, spits in her face and that causes Harry to take off his invisibility cloak, reveal that he's a Hogwarts and he is able to perform the Cruciatus curse for the first time. Mm-hmm. Cause you know how Bellatrix had said, like you have to mean it Potter. Like you, it's not just like knowing the words you yeah. have to like feel that anger. And so I think it's really telling that the first time he's able to do it is like kind of in defense of McGonagall, like standing up for her. Mm-hmm. He won't stand for her to be disrespected like that. He, like, couldn't even do it after Sirius had died. Like, he wasn't yeah. angry enough then, which is crazy. But I think it also says something about, like, Harry growing up over those two years. Yeah, I definitely think it's that as well. But I think it's just really telling Yeah, that he's able to do it then. So, yeah. I mean, I just kind of, like, picked a couple, like, of the instances that I remembered that really showed their relationship. And then, obviously, also in Order of the Phoenix, we talked about this in our Umbridge episode, but McGonagall, like, really standing up for Harry and being like, hey, don't listen to what Dolores says. If you want to be an Auror, like, I will teach you after, like, after classes every single Mm -hmm. day. Like, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you succeed. And I do think that that this was a little bit to, like, show up Umbridge and be like, hey, I'm not going to listen to you. But I think it also was, like, for Harry. Yeah. And I think so, just, yeah. like, throughout the series, I feel like there are instances where she's kind of, like, you can just, like, tell. Like, I feel like in the way that she, her, like, face is described, you can just, like, tell that she, like, loves him. Like, there's one, I can't remember what it is, but I feel like there's one time where she has, like, a tear in her eye or something like that. Mm. Like, when they're in the hallways. And I think... yeah. He really is, like, so much more than just a student to her. And because I think part of that is, like, she was close with Lily and James as well. Yeah. Like, if they were head boy and they were both, they were head boy and head girl. Mm-hmm. Like, and she was head of the house. So, like, they probably have, like, meetings and stuff. You know, like, she probably got very close with, even closer with them over the course of that year after already having taught them for six years. And then. Yeah. Like, it's just, and the fact that she was there at Perfect Drive when Dumbledore came, um, just for the Dursleys, like, like, the night, the day after, um, the Potters died, like, that shows that she really did care about, like, Harry and the Potters as people. Yeah, and even in, even at that time, she was like, Dumbledore, you cannot give him to the Dursleys, Mm -hmm. like, they're terrible people, like, I understand that it's pretty easy for people to stand up for a child whose parents just died. Like, they're very sympathetic. Like, it doesn't take much. But she still is even, like, thinking about him and making sure that he's protected, even at that point when she doesn't even really know him, that he's just a baby. She was always, like, protective over him. For sure. Um, Was she a part of the the first Order of the Phoenix? 
Oh. I don't think she was for some reason. Because it... um, She may have been, because I don't know. Because, like, even her being in the Order in the second one, like, she's very much in the Order, but she kind of keeps it secretive, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, because she's, like, at Hogwarts for the yeah. whole year. She, like, she doesn't she doesn't really have time to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because then that would also explain maybe why her and Lily and James were close. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's stated. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking for it, too. But, yeah, I think that their relationship is one that is maybe a little bit underrated. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think, like, it's important to remember that she's not just his teacher. And, like, she's not just the strict teacher. Like, she has... I mean, we talked about her whole backstory, which you don't get in the books. But, like, she has this really uh, moving backstory. And, like, I don't know. There's so much more to her than just the, like, strict teacher stereotype that I think is a lot of what you see in the movies. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, should we move on? Yep. Okay, so speaking of the movies, now on to the Calling All Witches book, which is based off the movies. Um, And they have a few pages on McGonagall. They describe her as proud, wise, and watchful. And she remained a constant and powerful force um, throughout Hogwarts' darkest times. So five times that she broke the rules is one of the the pages on her um when she made harry seeker of the gryffindor quidditch team in his first year when she was honest with all of her students about the chamber of secrets when other teachers refused to talk about it when she gave hermione a time turner when she fought against umbridge and protected trelawney and finally when she stood up for harry and co against snape before the battle of hogwarts so then also we have five times McGonagall warned you. <laughs> so five times she was gave people warnings. Um, oh, I thought you said mourned. I was like, what? <laughs> warned. <laughs> she told Dumbledore not to leave Harry with the Dursleys. She told the first years before the sorting ceremony had even happened that they would lose points for the house if they broke the rules. She warned Ron that he needed to replace his wand when it broke at the beginning of two. And then, of course, he did eat slugs because he was unable to replace it. She told Dumbledore that only trouble would follow if Harry was in the Triwizard Tournament, which, yeah, that happened. And (laughs) she warned Harry that he would have to open the ball with the other champions and dance. And... That was maybe the worst thing that she warned. <laughs> now for the where are they now section. McGonagall post Battle of Hogwarts. She um, was an, awarded the Order of Merlin First Class by Minister of Magic Kingsley Shacklebolt for her unwavering allegiance to the Order of the Phoenix. And then shortly afterwards, she was added to and given a chocolate frog card. And then she apparently was like 
quoted saying that it was something that she had never imagined receiving in her lifetime, a chocolate frog card. So I think that's pretty cute. (laughs) She was headmistress of Hogwarts at least until the 2020-2021. That's a lot of 20s. 2020-2021. school year because she was there in Cursed Child, but she was not the transfiguration teacher at this time. Also, in 2008, Minerva gave, Minerva gave permission for Dumbledore. <laughs> uh, in 2008, she gave permission for Dumbledore's notes on Tales of Beale the Bard to be published as part of Hermione Granger's new translation of the book. And it's surmised that she was probably a big hand in getting Neville his um, job at Hogwarts as professor of herbology. There also is a section about. Um, during the calamity so it's talking about her role in wizards unite um i'm not going to really talk about that because i don't think i've gotten to some of these things so i just don't want to spoil it for people and i really don't understand half of the words that are being written in this because i still really don't understand the storyline of wizards unite but that's a neat problem (laughs) um and in cursed child Again, we had just we were just talking about how good of a relationship McGonagall and Harry have in the books, which are canon. And now we have Cursed Child where Harry just totally disrespects McGonagall at every mm. turn. Doesn't listen to a single advi- piece of advice she has. Like Anyways, <laughs> like she advised him to not meddle in Scorpius's and Albus's friendship. Let them be their good friends. They're yeah. doing nothing wrong. Understandable. Her, or, um, Harry decides to give her the Marauder's Map to spy on his son. And she's like, um, the fuck no, Harry. This is terrible. And then he basically threatens her into doing it because yeah. of his position in the ministry. Just yeah. so awful. Cursed Child Harry's the woat. <laughs> Cursed Child's the worst. <laughs> okay. Well, the cocktail for Minerva McGonagall is a Bloody Mary. Making the perfect Bloody Mary is harder than transfiguration, but some people will settle for nothing else. An interesting drink that is much tastier than you may- might first think. Bloody Mary is made of two parts vodka, a couple of dashes of Worcestershire sauce, four parts tomato juice, one half part lemon juice, a pinch of salt, a dash of Tabasco Tabasco sauce, pepper, celery, slice of lime, ice. I don't like Bloody Marys. I've never had one, but it sounds nasty. They're like chunky. <laughs> yeah, that's a, just have a mimosa. If you're going to have a brunch drink, convince me why a Bloody Mary is better than a mimosa. I love a mimosa. Mimosas are, or, are so good. Yeah. Or like an Irish coffee. Like I would oh, just so much rather go-to. have either of those things. Love me some Baileys. I just really want to say that both Audrey and I are 21. In yeah. Case we have not talked about that. And we don't condone underage drinking. Do not make these cocktails <laughs> if you are not 21. Don't do that. Yeah. I just didn't know whether people knew that or not, and whether they just like. <laughs> we probably sound like we're like fourteen. 
<laughs> openly talking about underage drinking. <clears throat> I love mimosas. Hi, my name is Larry, and I'm a Slytherin. My name is Justin, and I'm a Slytherin. And together we host the Here's Johnny podcast, where we take a look at horror movies, TV shows... Oh, and games. We also have had amazing guests on the show that are directors, producers... And don't forget writers, Twitch streamers, and other podcasters. Yeah, and you can also check out our show every Monday. Just search Here's Johnny podcast in your podcast app of choice. And you can always follow us on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast. We are sure you will find an episode you will love. Maybe just like Ollivander's wands, an episode will pick you. Okay, time for our pop quiz. So today's question is, what subject would you want to teach at Hogwarts? Not subject would you want to take, because we've already asked that question, which one would you want to teach? And is it different? Can you remember why or why not? Mine is not different. Actually, oh, shoot. Okay, well, my answer is always charms. Um, Okay. Because I just think it's like super fun but I think it I would also I would like to teach maybe transfiguration more than I would like to take it um I feel like it because I feel like it's really hard but I would like to like (laughs) this is terrible but I think it lead to a lot of funny stories (laughs) true what about you I think that I this is a very spur-of-the-moment answer because I'm trying to make it different than the answer of what class I would take. Mm. Wait, what your class is... What's your class? My cl- The class I would take was History of Magic. Oh, you would not teach that. <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't think so? I don't know. Um, I think that... I think that maybe potions... I think that could be, like, a fun one to teach... It, like, feels very, like, low stakes for me as a teacher. You would have to be in the dungeon, though. So. I feel like I could move where the classroom was. They're not in the dungeons in the first movie. There's windows in that room. Okay. I don't know. I just feel like it would be, um, I had more low stakes. Like, I wouldn't have to do as much work. Like, all Snape does is write the recipe on the board and then just, like, go over and, like, check the progress. <clears throat> check the progress of students. I don't know. I think it could be, like, a little bit fun. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't a very good answer, I guess. I guess mine wasn't good either, so maybe it wasn't a good question. <laughs> you should send us pop quiz questions if you want better questions. <laughs> I kind of forgot we had already done the one you would want to take. Oh. Hmm. Well, oh well. Um, Go subscribe to us on whatever you listen to your podcasts on and leave us a review. You can find us on social media at... Mm. On Facebook and Instagram, our social media is Wizard Studies Podcast, and on Twitter, it's Wizard Studies. You can also email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us your question that way, pop quiz ideas, episode ideas, whatever you want to let us know. As always, thank you so much for listening, and remember, just do your best, we'll do the rest and learn until our brains all rot.